So have you ever heard something that didn't sound right? Something that, that just didn't sound right. And I'm not talking about mishearing some lyrics, okay? I'm, I'm talking about there's just something about the song that doesn't sound right. Over the last 11 days, my parents have become grandparents, I'm sorry, great-grandparents for the very first time twice. My nephew and his wife and my niece and her husband have both had babies the last two Thursdays. That, of course, makes me a great-uncle, which, hey, nothing's new. Now, probably, more than likely, either through some crooning grandparents or through uh, some type of uh, accessory to a crib, it is possible that Baby Wells and Baby Warner have already heard the song, the lullaby, rock a baby Now, the, the words go like this, if, if you have forgotten or not familiar, pretty simple. rock a baby in a treetop. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the bow breaks, the cradle will fall and down will come, baby, cradle and all. Huh. You know, as, as one baby said, how in the world can I go to sleep after hearing that? It, it's a strange song. Those, those words don't sound right. The, the, the lyrics of a song that say, hey, yeah, the baby's going to crash to the ground. It, it doesn't sound right. You know, we are living in days where there are lots of things that don't sound right. It seems as if the cradle of our society has broken and has fallen to the ground. There's, there's been a, a crashing, so to speak. So what do we do? What do we do when, when the world seems to be crashing in around us? Well, there's some ancient advice that has not lost an ounce of punch. In fact, for the last 3,000 years, over the course of 3,000 plus years, really, people in the Middle East and people in the middle of Africa and people in the middle of Asia and people in the middle of Europe, people in the middle of the outback, people in the middle of New York City, people in the middle of your neighborhood have been building their lives upon this ancient advice. This advice, every time the world comes crashing in on them, they keep going to it over and over and over again. This advice has guided generation after generation after generation. Red and yellow and black and white. It has guided them successfully, faithfully, through all the moments when life was crashing around. It has helped them pull the scattered pieces of their minds back together so that they can do the next right thing. So, sounds like advice we might be able to use, right? Something that would pull the scattered pieces of our minds together so that we can do the next right thing. So what is this advice? What is this advice that's spilling over with truth and help and hope for today? Well, let's see if we can find out. Psalm 46, beginning with verse 1. 
God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. One day Jesus was on a boat sailing with his disciples. Some of his disciples were professional commercial fishermen. They kind of knew what to do on a boat. And they're sailing across the water, and Jesus was actually taking a nap. He was asleep. And a storm came up, pretty bad storm. And the boat started rocking, and the waves started crashing over the boat and into the boat. And Jesus stayed asleep. Heavy sleeper, Jesus was. And the disciples had to wake him up. And when he woke up, what was the first thing he said to them? He wiped out his eyes, he looked at his friends, and he said, why are you guys afraid? Why are you afraid? Remember, we got some professional fishermen on this boat. This wasn't their first storm. We also have the disciples of Jesus on this boat. They've been around Jesus for a while now. They, they've seen Jesus in action. Miraculous, amazing, unexplainable action. And they're in the boat, and they're afraid. Now, in one sense, sure they were afraid. They were, they were in a, a crazy storm. They had every right to be afraid. But then in another sense, they didn't need to be afraid because Jesus, the Jesus, was in the boat with them. So Jesus wakes up. He says, why are you guys afraid? He's not mad at them. He's not trying to rebuke them. He's just asking a straightforward question. Why are you afraid? So let's get in the boat for a moment and let me expand this question from Jesus in, in this way. Right now, People all over the world are basically functioning in one of three main categories. There, there's others, but, but here's kind of the three main ones. They are afraid, they are angry, or they are apathetic. Now, granted, there are some folks out there that are, that are in the, the phase of, of adoration. You know, they are, they are trusting the Lord, walking with the Lord. They, they seemingly have been unrattled. And, and praise the Lord for those folks. And for us as believers, let's, let's pray that God would move us in that direction, at the very least, that we'd be around some folks like that. But most people, most of us, generally speaking, are, are struggling in one of those three categories. Now, you might be struggling with more than one. Maybe you're a little bit angry and a little bit apathetic. Maybe you're a little bit afraid and a little apathetic. Maybe you're a little bit angry and a little bit afraid. You could be struggling with two or even all three of those, but, but one of them, if, if you're honest with your heart and mind, one of them is a little stronger than the other one. So take just a moment and go ahead and, and diagnose yourself and, and see which one of those has a little stronger pitch in your mind. And then once you have that, then ask yourself the appropriate question. Why are you afraid? Why are you angry? Why are you apathetic? What's the answer to that question? Now, there's a second part to Jesus' question. Okay, first part, why are you afraid? The second part is, is just an important. The second part to his friends, he said, 
Where's your faith? Again, both of these questions are needed, okay? So, so why are you afraid? Where's your faith? Why are you angry? Where is your faith? Why are you apathetic? Where is your faith? They're, they're both needed. They're, they're both there. Now, listen, we're not talking about smiley perfection here, okay? Um, you're going to have moments where you're going to be angry, and you're going to have moments where you're going to be afraid, and you're going to have moments where you're going to be apathetic, okay? You, you can have saving faith, and you can be angry. You can have saving faith, and you can be afraid. And, and you can have saving faith, and you can be apathetic, but but it probably would be helpful to say this on apathy. At the very least, I think it would be extremely difficult for you to have saving faith and to be unapologetically apathetic, meaning you just don't care about showing justice and mercy. Likewise, I think it would be extremely difficult to have saving faith and to be unapologetically apathetic, meaning you you just don't care about humility or walking humbly with God or loving your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. And likewise, I think it would be extremely difficult for you to have saving faith and be unapologetically apathetic, meaning you just don't care about unrighteous fear or unrighteous anger. Now, what's that? What's unrighteous fear and unrighteous anger? Well, it's fear and anger that's driven by being sinful or irrational or unreasonable or self-centered instead of being guided in some way, shape, or form by the character and nature and truth of God. So, tonight, this afternoon, sometime today, ask yourself those questions. Hey, what is going on with my anger, my fear, and my apathy? Are you being driven by sin or are you being guided by truth? It's an important question. Jesus asked his friends, he said, why are you afraid? And and then the second part of that Where's your faith? It's super important for me and for you because it kind of, the answer to that question at least, kind of helps us see not just where our attitude is, but who we are underneath that attitude. And who we are underneath the attitude matters. It's like Jesus woke up, surveyed the situation, and it's almost as if he was saying to his friends, guys, did you really think that social media was going to blow up tonight with this headline, Aspiring Religious Leader Drowns at Sea? Guys, did you really think that was what was going to happen? See, what Jesus is doing is, is drawing their attention away from the storm for a moment and drawing their attention to him. He's looking at them and he's saying, hey, what, what happened to your faith? Where did it go? I mean, it, you had it when we were back on shore. What what, what happened? Did, did this storm convince you that it was more powerful than me? And modernizing it a little bit, Jesus might say, hey, your faith seemed to be okay when, when all the churches were meeting inside the building. But now that the church is, is online or, 
or out in a field or, or in some other situation, why does it seem like maybe your faith has is, is faded a little bit? See, at any given moment, one of the best and most powerful and most helpful and, and healthiest questions that you can ask yourself is this, where is my faith? Where is my faith? If you're not a Christian, your faith might be in a number of different things, different people, different philosophies. And if so, let me just graciously say this. Hurricanes and tornadoes and tropical storms and landslides and fires and crime and violence, accidents, even ignorance, can take your stuff away and your home away and your building away your job away, your money away, even people you love away in an instant. So please don't put your ultimate faith in things or in people. Put your faith in in something that's solid and sure. And every religious leader and every philosophical leader that has ever lived physically died and stayed dead except for one and that one is Jesus the Christ so if you're not a Christian we would plead with you consider the story of Jesus and we sincerely desire that God would quicken your heart to the gospel and that you would turn to Christ that you would repent turn around and that you would experience the reality of what it means to be saved and safe and satisfied. That is our longing for you. But if you are a Christian, the, the question remains, where is your faith? Where, where is it at? Is your faith right now in Christ? Or have the storms of life convinced you that somehow the cradle of God has broken and fallen and crashed? Why are you afraid? Why are you angry? Why are you apathetic? And where is your faith in the midst of all of those things? Jesus is kindly but firmly turning to his friends and saying something very simple. Hey guys, I never left the boat. I've I've been right here the whole time. That storm is not more powerful than me. That that storm does not have more authority than me. And if you have me, then you have everything that you most desperately need. If you have Christ, you have what you most desperately need. So, let's step out of the boat and and let's step back into Psalm 46. And I'm going to jump down to verses 2 and 3 and then launch back into verse 1. So, Verse 2, Psalmist says this, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Psalmist says, We will not fear. I mean, that's that's a pretty bold statement. I mean, where where does he get the gumption to say that? 
Well, we're going to see where he gets the gumption in just a moment. But, but first, let's catch the scene here. What is he describing? Well, it seems as if he's describing some natural disaster. Others believe maybe he's using natural disaster language to, to figuratively talk about wars and military battles that, that God's people had endured. But regardless of the specifics, the language is not confusing. The language here is riveting. Listen to some of these words. Change, slip, roar, quake, pride. Those are the words that the psalmist is using to describe these moments. Now, do any of those words not sound like the last few months at the very least? Listen to them again. Change, slip, roar, quake, pride. Listen, don't be fooled. Those things are not new. The first time that we see any of those things on earth were with the first people that existed on the earth. There are different names, there's different titles, there's different people involved, but there is nothing new under the sun, and there will be nothing new under the sun. Why? Well, because the world is always suppressing the truth of God. The world is always rebelling against God. And so while that is happening, these things will continue to happen. So what's a Christian supposed to do? What's someone who follows Jesus? What, What are they supposed to do in the middle of all this suppressing and all of this rebellion? What is a Christian supposed to do when the storms of life crash in? Well, the psalmist says they're not supposed to be afraid. I mean, come on, not be afraid. Look again, we're not talking about perfection, okay? We're all going to have moments where we're afraid, angry, or apathetic, and, and other things. But will we stay that way? See, that's the question. Will we stay that way? Or will the gospel help our attitude change? Will it just be Bible stories that we remember from the time that we were kids? Or will the gospel in these moments keep changing our hearts towards God and towards loving others? When people know us and and they talk about us, Will, will they know that we're the kind of people that struggle just like everybody else? Will they see us struggling but because we've been bought with a price? Because we've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Will they also see us fighting through our strife to trust in God? Or when people talk about us, when, when they discuss our names at the dinner table, when they look at our social media post, will they say that most of the time what they see in us is that we are a frightened man or a frightened woman? Will they say that, that most of the time I know him to be an angry man or an angry woman? Or most of the time, I know him to be an apathetic man or an apathetic woman. 
What will we be known by normally? See, the psalmist was accustomed to war, to plagues, to sickness, to violence, to injustice, to natural disasters, and just about everything else you can imagine. And the psalmist says, you know what? Pick out the worst crisis or tragedy or trouble that you can think of. Like the worst thing you can possibly imagine. The worst disaster that you can think of. And take that and don't ever be ultimately and permanently afraid of it. Why? Why would he say that? Well, he's already told us. Listen again to verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Listen, I can't force you to believe that. I can't force you to believe in God. If you believe in God, I can't force you to change your attitude about everything that's happening in the world right now. I can't force you. But I can graciously tell you this. All of this is true. God is a refuge. God is a strength. God is a super powerful, awesome, amazing, very present help in times of trouble. It is who he is. Now, how do I know that? Well, please forgive me for the oversimplification, but I know that because God promised it. God declared it. God proclaimed it. And God has proven it throughout history. God has has proven it to believers for more than a thousand years that he is a refuge, he is a strength, he is a very present help in times of trouble. We are tempted to think that reality is whatever we have read this morning on social media, whatever we saw on the news. That might be reality for this moment, but God is a bigger reality, and his reality exists over all creation, over all time, forever and ever and ever. God has proved it in the lives of believers for more than 3,000 years. And I'll just simply say God has proven it to me. That he is a refuge, he is a strength, and he is a very present help in times of trouble. Now, does that mean God's going to fix all your problems and everything's going to be fluffy and peachy? No. It means that God has already fixed your greatest problem And it means that God will fix, ultimately, all problems. What does that mean? What's what's your greatest problem? What is our greatest problem? Our greatest problem is is sin and death. Because it doesn't just kill us physically, but it separates us from God spiritually. So what did God do to, to fix that? Well, God actually sent his perfect son to be crucified and his death is the only death that has the ability to rescue a person from the penalty of sin that's what God has done and the second one sounds a little over the top right God's going to fix all problems (laughs) what does that mean well Martin Luther put it this way and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph 
through us. And he goes on. The body, they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. His kingdom is forever. Whatever kingdom your nation may build, that kingdom is not forever. Whatever kingdom your favorite TV preacher or internet preacher builds here on earth, that kingdom is not forever. Whatever kingdom your favorite sports team builds on earth, that kingdom is not forever. Whatever kingdom you build in your backyard or, or at the lake or at the mountains or at the beach or, or on a colony on Mars, well, wherever it is, that kingdom is not forever. The only kingdom that is forever is the one that has been created and is owned and managed and instigated and culminated by the one true God, the Lord of hosts, the only one who is holy, 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 the only one who was and is and is to come. His kingdom and only his kingdom is forever. And that truth begs some questions of us. Here's the first one. Is God your refuge? Are you in the practice of running to God first and most? Or do you run to the lake and run to the beach and run to the mountains? And I guess you can't run to Mars yet, but we're working on it. Or maybe you run to the pill bottle or the wine bottle, or, or maybe you run to being bottled up with anger or apathy or fear or anxiety or just freaking out about what you see on social media or believing what you see on social media. What bottles you up? What, what are you running to? The question for Christians is this. Do you want God to be your refuge? I mean, really, this, this is an honest question we need to ask in the mirror. Do we really want God to be our refuge or do we want vacation? to be our refuge? Or do we just like being angry? Do we just like being afraid? Do we just like being apathetic? And, and we would just rather do that because it's comfortable and it doesn't require a whole lot and we don't have to change our schedule around it. You see, the truth of the matter is when the storms of life hit, that's when we really begin to find out what our refuge is. When our comfort is attacked, as it has been for these last three months, at the very least, we begin to find out where we're really looking to find strength. When the world begins to crash in on us, we begin to really find where we're looking to find help. What the psalmist is saying is that when his world pressed in the hardest, when things were crashing in the most, that is when the nearness of God felt the most real to him. That the nearness of God was more real to him when things were crashing around him. So how about us? Are you aware of the nearness of God? When you watch the news, are you aware of God? Or are you looking up? When you scroll through social media, are you aware of God or are you looking up? 
When you hear about laws that are passed, are you aware of God? Are you, are you looking up? When you hear about laws that are broken, are you aware of God? Are you looking up? When you hear that church is still online or out in the field or out in a parking lot, are you aware of God or are you still looking up? Or do the, the storms of life become so strong that God is not your refuge? He's not your strength. He's not your very present help in times of trouble because you don't really want his nearness. You, you want something else. In fact, oftentimes what happens is we begin to feel like in the middle of the storm that either God is not listening or God is not real. In a sense, that's kind of what happened to Grace Rankin. Grace had a friend who was killed three summers ago, and she was devastated. She cried out to God. She asked God for help, and she said her experience was nothing but silence. She felt like God had, had abandoned her in some way, and, and she was confused because it seemed like God was always there when things were comfortable and good, but, but when things were hard, it seemed like God wasn't around. So Grace went to her dad for some advice, and this is what her dad said. We only have two options. We can choose to run toward God or run away from him. So which way are you running today? Are you running toward God or are you running toward fear? Are you running toward anger? Are you running toward apathy? Which way are you running? Her dad went on to say this about running toward God. Running toward him is scary sometimes. He's massive and powerful, but running away from him is even more frightening. So what did Grace do? Well, she listened to her dad, and she decided to run toward God. And God didn't become miraculously some mystical strong tower to her overnight, but she kept running to him, and she kept listening, and she kept reading the Bible, and she kept praying, and she kept loving other people and she kept waiting and this is what she said about what happened with her and God gently his peace came to guard my heart and mine it stole in undetectably at first like the earliest light of sunrise but it came to comfort me just as he promised and then she says this we are promised a happy ending union with Christ and that what happens here won't last forever Christ is coming we must only keep running to him waiting in trust and peace if you are running to Christ then at the very least it will be extremely difficult for you to make fear and anger and apathy your refuge. If you are running to Christ, not perfectly, 
but you will do justly toward others. Red and yellow, black and white. If you are running to Christ, not perfectly, but you will be merciful to others. Red and yellow, black and white. If you are running to Christ, not perfectly, but you will live in humility toward others. Red and yellow, black and white. If you're running to Christ, then you will walk humbly with God. And then when things change, when you slip, when social media roars, when the stuff you own is seated on ground and that ground begins to quake, and when the pride of this sinful world threatens to undo you, if you're running to Christ, you will remember that God is your refuge and He's your strength. And you will remember that He's a very present help in times of trouble, even if you can't see Him and even if you can't hear Him. And if you're running to Christ, you'll remember that His kingdom is forever. And you'll also remember that His kingdom is your kingdom. God is our refuge and strength. And God is, was, and will always be a very present help in time of trouble.